The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. David, as you know, is the only one we read of that is called a man after God's own heart. And I think if you run into a man after God's own heart, that's the kind of man you need to study. You need to figure out what he's doing because that's something that we can attain unto. You know, um, our measuring stick, as I always say, is not David, it's Christ. And we'll never measure up to, to him. But, you know, we can measure up to being a man after God's own heart. Because David did it, and he was a man of like passions as we are. Last time we talked about David the Deliverer in 1 Samuel chapter 23, where we had taken our study from. We went through that chapter, and we saw where the first part of that, of that chapter, he delivered a place called Keilah. And then he um, ended up asking the Lord um, if, um, he said in verse 11, will the men of Keilah deliver me up and will Saul come down? And, and uh, he's asking God, you know, for guidance. And the Lord said he'll come down. And he said, yeah, the men of Keilah are going to deliver you up. And we saw where David wasn't an absoluter. David was a man who felt, who, who would take the teachings of God's word and apply them in his life and not be a fatalist and sit back and say, oh, well, what is to be will be. Now, I understand God has purposes and plans in this life, and he has providential care that he has over his children and, and purposes that he providentially brings to pass. But to say that God is to blame for everything that happens in my life would be to accuse God falsely. Because most of the things that happen in my life that are bad are not God teaching me some kind of lesson. It's me suffering because of something I've done. I'm not um, paying a fine to the state for speeding because God's trying to show me something, okay? I'm paying a fine to the state for speeding because I sped and broke the law, you see, and that's the consequence of it. So when I, when I leap off the cliff of the Grand Canyon and I fall to my death below, that's not because God predestinated me to die at that point. It's because I was stupid enough to leap off of the Grand Canyon cliff, you see. Uh, and it's the laws of gravity bring, pulling me down, not God pushing me down, you see. Uh, that's what they tried to, they tried to turn the Lord into an absoluter on the Temple Mount. He said, the devil took him to the top of the temple, said, just jump down. <laughs> Lord's going to take care of you, just jump down. The uh, Lord said he's not going to let your foot be dashed on a stone. And uh, So if the Lord had been an absoluter himself, he said, okay, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> But instead he said, you're not to tempt the Lord thy God. You're not to tempt him. And that's what we do sometimes. I do that sometimes. And often in the world we, we try to blame God for things. But here's what David did. He didn't say, okay, well, I'll just sit here like Eli did, sit on his haunches and wait for the judgment. He said, okay, I'm going to do something about it. And he went out and he did. And he delivered himself and his men. He went from, he went from Keilah to the wilderness of Ziph. And that's, we read about that in verses 7 through 18. And then in verses 19 through 28, which is where we want to pick up this morning, we see that David is continuing to deliver himself and his men. Uh, he's, he's delivering them uh, from the wilderness, from Ziph rather, to the wilderness of Maon. And by the way, I just want to remind you of the last thing we looked at the last time we talked about David. And it was the fact that God providentially, I believe, provided him an opportunity to see his best friend one last time. Jonathan came to see him, 
And they encouraged themselves. It says, uh, when Jonathan went to David in the woods, he strengthened his hand in God. And we're told that they made a covenant before the Lord and David abode in the wood and Jonathan went to his house. David was in a place in a wilderness that had no help for him, nothing there. He shouldn't have been able to survive. No doubt he was, he was surrounded by men that didn't care about God. He was no doubt getting down into, the, into the depression. No doubt he was in despair. No doubt he was at least tempted to despair. And God provided providentially a fellow believer to come along and encourage him and strengthen his hand in the Lord. That's what we ought to be doing for one another. That's what we ought to be doing for one another. You know, what's my purpose? And why is a, I've heard my grandmother who said, well, you know, I just don't know why the Lord's leaving me here. I don't understand why I'm still suffering here. Well, you know why? Because I was encouraged every time I went to see her. She encouraged, she strengthened my hand in God. We have a purpose, child of God, and the purpose is to sharpen one another as iron sharpeneth iron. And then we see after that, verse 19 down through verses 28, that certainly what, what David had, uh, uh, had asked God about came to pass. It says, Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood in the hills of Hakilah? Uh, which is on the south of Jeshimon. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for ye have compassion on me. Let me just stop right there and say this. We're going to come back to it in a minute, I think, and if we get to it today. How many times do ungodly people call on the name of the Lord to justify their actions? <laughs> Are they, you know, how many times do people, uh, and, and listen, listen, it can be us, by the way. I'm not just saying, so I believe Saul was a child of God. I believe he's a child, I believe he's in heaven today. And he said, oh, you're blessed of God to, to, to turn David over to me. <laughs> Making him feel better, you know, trying to sprinkle a little word of God on whatever it is he's doing. When the truth is, in his heart, his heart was not right with God. And remember now when I say that phrase, and that's not what the world, the world would say you've got to get your heart right with God in order to go to heaven. I'm talking about you and I, child of God, who are going to heaven. We need to have our hearts right with God. Amen. Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, for you've had compassion on me. Uh, go, I pray you, prepare ye yet, and know and see his place where his home is, and who has seen him there, for it has told me that he dealeth very subtly. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hideth himself and come ye again to me with a certainty and I will go with you and it shall come to pass if he be in the land that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. Did you notice the subtlety of Saul here? He said, you go find out all the lurking places where he is. You know, that, that just sounds ominous, doesn't it? That just sounds evil. You notice the subtlety here? He's the lurking places where he hideth himself, as if he were some rebel that was, uh, uh, that was doing uh, that which is not pleasing in the sight of God. And in fact, that's the way Saul was trying to paint him. He's trying to talk him down. And then he says, I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. You know, we read earlier in verse 14, the last time we were on this topic, it says, Saul sought him every day. It kind of brings you a little perspective on what David was dealing with, doesn't it? He had an enemy that was dedicated to him. He said, I will search him out throughout all the thousands 
of Judah. And he says, you Ziphites are blessed as God because you're helping me in my task. Verse 24 says, they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain on the south side, on the south of Jeshimon. And as you continue reading here, you see that just like in verse 14 where it says Saul sought him every day it says but God delivered him not into his hand verse 24 says that while they're out looking for him and even though these people that he was good to the Ziphites that that David was good to betrayed him into the hand of Saul it says but David and his men had gone somewhere else see they were somewhere else now David certainly had uh, had the duty of trying to flee and go in the right place where God led him. But you remember David had asked God to help him. And he had followed the instruction of God. He had, he had determined from God's answer that this was not the place he needed to be. So he went further on into another place, a place called uh, Maon, which is near a place called Jeshimon. Now, I'm not going to read all the details of the next few verses. But from about verse 25 through verse 29, you read how Saul followed David. They met at a well-known mountain in that area. And Saul tried what they call a pincer movement. He divided his forces and he tried to come around and he tried to attack him. But, the, but you notice where they met. It says they met at a place in verse 28 called Selah Hamalikoth. Selah Hamalikoth. And I love, the, I love the Hebrew there. I love the Hebrew word names for places because they're always literal names. I, I like that. It's describing something. And that word there, the name of that rock is called the rock of divisions or the rock of parting. And it also carries the idea of a smooth rock or a slippery rock or the rock of slipping away. <laughs> it's the place where David slipped away slipped away from Saul. And notice how he did it. It says, verse 27, there came, while they were coming around, he compassed his, David and his men round about. He was getting ready to take them, but there came a messenger unto Saul saying, haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Now I don't see an overt reference to God here, but I sure do see the providence of God here, don't you? God again delivers him and I, I want to say this to you. Now, again, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about God making evil people do evil things. What we are talking about is God providentially suffering things to occur and removing his restraints and, and, and in, in his God way, the, the way only God can do it, uh, providentially caring for his people. If he has to suffer an army to attack a country in order to deliver his people, Praise God, he's going to do it. Isn't that, isn't that precious? I mean, think about David is nothing in his own mind. He's nothing. He didn't even feel like he was qualified to be the son-in-law of the king. And yet God, we're told, de- delivered him not into the hand of Saul. How did he deliver him not into the hand of Saul? I believe God was in, was in the matter of the Philistines invading the land. Now, again, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying and start blaming God for the evil things that the Philistines did. But you know, God is, has a way of doing things providentially where that the men that do them are blamed for what they do. But yet God gets the glory for protecting his people. And that's what I believe he did here. And verse 29, David then went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds in En Gedi. 
This is a place in En Gedi that's next to the Dead Sea. It's a place of safety. It's a place with ample water supply. He's gone from a wilderness where it's hard to understand those that have visited that area over there in the wilderness of Ziph and the wilderness of Maon. How in the world can anybody alone, much less an army of 600 men, survive? He's gone from there. God has delivered him into a place called En Gedi where there's plenty of water, where there's plenty of safety, near the Dead Sea, a place where he can be protected. Okay? Turn with me over to Psalm 54. The other thing I love about David is that we don't have to wonder what's going through his mind in times like this. Notice in Psalm 54 that the caption to Psalm 54 says, To the chief musician on Neganoth, Maskil, a psalm of David, when the Ziphims came and said to Saul, Doth not David hide himself with us? So now we see, we see a psalm of David that was written in this very day, in this very time. So what is David thinking right now? As, as he is facing this problem, he says in verse 1, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. David recognizes he has no strength. He has no name. He's, he's accused of lurking in places. He's accused of being a rebel. But he says, Save me, O God, by thy name. And judge me by thy strength. You know, there are times when people have, have tried to tear my name down. I'm sure they've done it to you. If they haven't, they will one day. If no other reason, you tell them you're a primitive Baptist. And they say, what? A primitive Baptist? They'll try to tear that name down. But you know what our prayer ought to be? Save me, O God, by thy name. Amen. All I care about is being called by the name of God. Now, a good name is rather to be desired than great riches. I understand that. Our reputation is important. But, there, but what I'm talking about is when those people that are wicked people are out there trying to tear your name down for no good reason, for in, not for anything you've done wrong, but because they're enemies of the kingdom of God. Yeah. In those days, we can cry out as David, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength, because I have none. <laughs> This morning as I was sharing with you about the, the things that I've been thinking about and how, how important it is for a preacher to rely upon the strength of God is because the preacher is an earthen vessel. And the only way that a preacher can preach is if that treasure is in there. Yeah. But it's still in an earthen vessel that the excellency may be of God, you see. When we're delivered, when Zion Primitive Baptist Church revives... Certainly the efforts of men and the prayers of men have been put into it, but it's the blessing and the strength of God that makes the difference. Amen. That's why we're here this morning. It's not because Aunt Lorene, who is precious and dear, and I'd say this if she were here, wonderful, uh, faithful, dear uh, saint of God that, that tried to hold this together, but we're not here because of her. We're not here because of me or you or anybody that's joined this church. We're here because of God has strength that we don't have. Amen. You see, save me, O God, by thy name and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. You know, David's had the experience of being in the cave. We've already talked about that, Psalm 142. He prayed that prayer from a cave. And as I remember that um, the quote from Charles Spurgeon went like this, that if he had prayed in the palace, what he prayed in the, the prayer he prayed in the cave, he'd have probably never left the palace. <laughs> but he finally got down to the point where he poured out his complaint before God. 
For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. They have not set God before them, Selah. You know, that's, that's my experience, and I believe it's your experience. Because in the world, there are those that are strange. Now, this is not talking about the strangers and pilgrims in a strange land that we are. That's not what it's talking about here. Although the stranger that he, and the oppressor that he's talking about was one of his own people. It was Saul. It was Saul. That's one reason we cannot consign to hell those that oppose us in the world. There's many people out there that oppose me, and they don't act like children of God, and they don't look like children of God, and they're not doing what children of God ought to do. But grace is amazing, and it's greater than anything else that's out there. See, this stranger here was a child of God, and these Zithims were, were part of God's people. And they're risen up against me. And the, and the reason, though, that they are strangers and oppressors is that they have not set God before them. And then he says this, Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. You see, David knew where his help lay. He knew where his strength was. He knew that in the times when he was at his lowest, God was at his highest. In the times when we're at our weakest, God is at his strongest, as if God had any degrees of strength. <laughs> you know, sometimes we say, and, and Paul, it's okay to do that. It's, it's appropriate to, to try to <clears throat> describe God in ways that we can understand, even though it really is not accurate. Because Paul, the apostle himself, writing to Corinthians, said the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Is there any foolishness with God? No, there's not. <laughs> there's not. But if there were, then that kind of gets the point across. And if there were, it'd be wiser than anything we could come up with. The weakness of God is stronger than men. <laughs> if God were weak, which he is not, he is, the, he is the strength of all strengths. Even in his weakest moment, he's stronger than any of the strongest men of this world. And he shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Keep that thought. Keep that thought because we're about to get into something else here that's going to be so important for us to remember if we're able to get to it this morning. And if not, we'll come back to it hopefully next week. But keep that thought. He, that is God, shall reward evil unto mine enemies. I like the movies and the books where the good guy gets to walk up and shoot his enemies. You know, I get that. <laughs> I like to pay my enemies back. I like to be the deliverer of judgment. That's human nature to feel that way. But in the kingdom of God, it's not to be that way. Under the teachings of the he says, he shall reward evil unto our enemies. And then he says, this is this verse five, the last part of it is a prayer. It says, cut them off in thy truth. You know, one of, the, one of the problems with, I saw, I saw a movie several years ago. We watched, I forget why, but I was watching it in relation to my job for some reason. I think it because it had, a, it had to do with an investigation. Anyway, whatever it was, it's called Mystic River. If you've ever seen that movie, it's a movie with uh, Kevin Bacon and uh, Sean Penn. And um, I forget the other guy, but there's three of them that are childhood friends. One of them grows up to be a cop. He grows up to be an investigator. One of them grows up to be a mob boss. And the other one grows up to just be kind of a weird guy, you know, doing, I mean, he wasn't involved in either side. 
And long, the long story short of it is that, uh, is that the mob boss believes that his other friend uh, killed his, murdered his daughter. And, 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 and ultimately he ends up killing his friend and, and throwing him in the river, in Boston, Mystic River. And, uh, and you find out about the time he does it, because I'm spoiling it for anybody that might watch the movie, I know, but you find out about the time, almost simultaneously with the time he kills his friend, that his friend didn't kill his daughter and that someone else did and, and the cop, the investigator cracks the case and anyway, this is an interesting movie, but it brought home a point to me and that's this. Sometimes when I want to repay my enemies for the evil they've done to me, I'm wrong about it. Yeah. I'm wrong about it. See, I get it wrong sometimes. I must, some, I've had the situation of putting somebody in the category of being an enemy when they weren't. I was just wrong. And that's why we have to rely on the Lord to bring vengeance and not us. He says here, remember, he says, cut them off in thy truth. In thy, see, God gets it right every single time. And I don't. I don't. He says, cut them off in thy truth. And then he says, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Now, when he wrote this, he wasn't delivered yet. He wasn't out of trouble yet, but he knew his God was so good. He says, I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. The name of the Lord is good. And he says, he hath delivered me out of all trouble. You know, the truth is, to that point, God had delivered him out of all of his troubles. Amen. Romans chapter 5 says, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. You know what he's talking about there? He's saying, when we endure tribulation, and we endure it with patience, we, we get the experience of God having delivered us out of that tribulation. And then when we have that experience, we can have hope. Because see, when I, when I, was, when I was 17 years old, and I had a, a girlfriend dump me, <laughs> and uh, I, had, uh, I had trouble uh, dealing with it because I said, it's the end of the world. I, there's nothing else you know, that, that could possibly be out there for me. Well, fast forward about eight years, and I'm married to uh, the wo most wonderful woman in the world, and she's, even after she turned me down once, but she came back and finally said yes. She had the good sense to turn me down the first time, but uh, thankfully the Lord clouded her vision and whatever, and she said yes the second time. But, uh, but, uh, but see, I had the experience now that, hey, it's going to work out, you see, because I went through tribulation, and, I, I, and, and that tribulation gave me an experience where I didn't die, and things did go on and the sun did come up the next morning and the next thing you know the Lord has blessed me in another situation where I have hope now see and you take that and put that in any situation you've ever been in that's what David was doing here he said he hath delivered me out of all trouble he hath delivered me out of all trouble he's done that hadn't he Amen. I thought the hurricane was going to blow us away <laughs> but he delivered us I don't know how he delivered us Maybe the forces of nature just weren't so strong as the meteorologists thought they were. Maybe the Lord weakened it. I don't know, you know. I've been through a hurricane here. We had that one, I forget if it, which one it was, but it's when Mason was about three or four years old. He hadn't had the experience of a hurricane. We got him out there and that wind was blowing. You remember that? You know how it does. It just blows and blows and blows. And for weeks after that, 
for weeks when he was a little boy, he couldn't stand for us to put the ball down on the ground because he was he'd start screaming and crying said no it's gonna blow away it's gonna blow away you know because he'd had the experience of that the, the, he'd never had any, the experience of a hurricane before and that hurricane had blown he just was terrified that it was gonna happen again but now he's 16 and he knows that hurricanes don't you know we kind of tend to know when they're coming so we can go get the ball up and put it in the you know in the laundry room or wherever to keep it from blowing away that's a simple example, but it tells us the same thing David's saying here. Yeah. And the same thing Romans 5 is telling us. We don't have to despair in our experience here. Now certainly, in our minds and hearts, we know that the Lord's going to deliver us to heaven one day. And everything's, everything's going to be well with our soul. It sure is. But I'm telling you that one of the things we must understand is that God is good to us in the land of the living. He's good to us here and now. David says, He has delivered me out of all trouble, and mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. David ends up praising God, even though he's not delivered yet. But he's seen that God has thwarted their purposes. He's seen that there are flatterers in Saul's circle, like Dog, the Edomite, you remember, that went and told on him with the Abimelech and the priests. They were telling lies about him, but God thwarted their purposes again. And such men never truly win. Let me just tell you, they never truly win. You see, God is still the God of this universe. So, thus far we see David the deliverer who has delivered Keilah. Then he delivered himself and his men. And we're going to begin this. We're not going to finish it today, but starting in chapter 24, we're going to see where David delivers his enemy. David delivers his enemy. Hi, let me ask you this question. How are we supposed to treat our enemies? How are we supposed to treat our enemies? Well, the world tells us that we're supposed to kill them. I think I, one of my favorite quotes from any movie was uh, Conan the Barbarian, which I do not recommend you watch because it's got some bad parts in it. But, but he said, they asked Conan, they said, Conan, what is good in life? And he says, kill your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of the women. I always love that quote. Man, that, doesn't, that just, doesn't that just give you what life tells you about your enemies? Kill them, drive them before you, and listen to their loved ones cry. Boy, that's just, that's just best in life, isn't it? And I want to say to you, that's all that life will offer you. That's all that life will offer you. And that's what I want to do by nature. The people that are my enemies, by nature, I want to see them destroyed, and I want to be the one to do it. What does God say about it? Jesus says, you know, that's what, that's what, the, that's what the, the Jews were interested in when Christ was born. At that time period, what they wanted was a war leader to rise up and to throw off the mantle of the Roman Empire and destroy those people that had been oppressing them and, and set up a kingdom here and be a theocracy, a kingdom like they'd had under David and, and Saul and Solomon. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus says, I know you've been told to hate your enemies. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But he says, I say unto you, love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. Do good unto them that despitefully use you. Now, by the way, that little phrase, that, those two little verses there are an explanation of one another. He says, love your enemies. And the first thought that I have in my mind is, how can I love my enemy? 
I don't feel good toward him. I don't like my enemies. I don't have a, a, a heart that's beating for my enemy. <laughs> Not in a good way, at least. But he goes on to say, do good to them that despitefully use you. Now that's kind of explaining or clarifying what he's talking about. Because remember what we've always said, love is not a feeling. Yeah, there's got to be some feeling there. I understand that, you know. But love is not itself a feeling. It's an action. And it's how we treat one another. Because I promise you, you married people out there and you that are looking to get married one day, I promise you there will come a time in your marriage when you'll feel like, oh, I just don't feel love today. I don't feel love toward my spouse this morning or this evening or whatever. But you know what? You're not required to feel love toward one another. Husbands particularly are told, husbands love your wives. And sometimes you may... Uh, find yourself in a situation where you, you're just in total disagreement with your wife and you think she's being unreasonable and you think she's wrong and she won't listen to you and you just, that, that, that woman is the most unreasonable woman I've ever seen. It's the most unreasonable she's ever been. So what am I going to do? How am I going to love? What am I supposed? You're supposed to love her. <laughs> you're supposed to love her. I don't feel like loving her. Okay, that's all right. Love her anyway. Because you've got to show it, you see. You've got to show it. You continue to do your duties as a husband. You continue to show her love, you see. And, and ladies as well. You wives are supposed to do that to us too. <laughs> uh, but, but particularly men are ordered to do that by the Word of God. And I think it's because it's a particular problem for men. Showing our feelings by doing, you know, do the dishes, you know, pick up, <laughs> clean up a little bit. Um, you know, and, and you say, physician, heal thyself. Preacher, preach to yourself. I am, <laughs> okay? I am preaching to myself. I need to do it more. We all can do better. And, and let, me, let me say this to you before I forget it, because that's where I was headed. Jesus said, love your enemies. You say, preacher, my wife or my husband has become my enemy. What do I do? You love him or her anyway. Yeah. See, because Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say feel good toward them. He didn't say feel love toward them. He said, do good to them that despitefully use you. David has come to a place in En Gedi where he's about to encounter his biggest enemy to this point in his life. We're going to see, and, and, and we begin reading, let's just read verses 1 through 4 as our time is about gone, but we'll come back to this next time. It came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now, we have an interesting situation, do we not? <laughs> we have a situation here, and I, and I want to talk to you about the temptation David had right here. We have a situation right here where David has been praying, Lord, I want you to vindicate me. You remember, you remember uh, what we read in there? You've delivered me out of all your trouble. He says, he says in, uh, uh, back in uh, Psalms 84, and I'm going to turn over there to get it just right. He said, cut them off in thy truth. In verse 5, he says, He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. God, he has prayed to God, God, I want you to deliver me. I need you to deliver me. I'm praying that you will vindicate me. 
And here we find a situation where David and all his men are hiding in a very large cave. And Saul comes into that cave, we're told, he says, to cover his feet. Now, without getting into details, just understand that this was Saul going in to take care of the call of nature, okay? He was going into this cave. Uh, he left his men. He left them outside, and he goes into this cave. Now, can you imagine this? He comes into this cave where all of David and his men are. <laughs> They're hiding in the sides and in the back of the cave. And, and, and can't you just see them saying, well, hey, David, hey, look, Ooh, it's Saul coming. Let's hide. Everybody be quiet. He's coming in. What's he doing? He's coming in. He's coming. Hey, David, David, he's here. Look at him. He's there. He's in a very compromising position. The Lord has delivered him into your hands. In verse 4, that's what they say. The men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. <laughs> and then David arose and cut off the skirt of robe privately, privately, which means he sneaked up. And he cut off a piece of Saul's robe. We're going to continue reading here. And you're going to see where when David finally talks to him, he said, some bade me kill thee. Verse 10. But mine eye spared thee. Notice the temptation though, child of God. Notice the temptation. And I want to say to you, it's the difference in following signs and obeying the word of God following signs and obeying the Word of God. And we're going to come back to this next time. But I want you to ask yourself as you think about this situation and think about some situations you've been in. And I've, I can think of situations I've been in where it was just plain as a nose on my face that it was time for me to deliver the judgment against my enemies. I mean, it doesn't get any plainer than this, does it? They're all hiding in the cave, and the very man who is out to get him comes in in a compromising position, in a position where he cannot defend himself. All David's got to do is just walk up to the man and run him through with his sword. Gosh, that's a sign, isn't it? <laughs> wow, that's just got to be the circum... Let me just say to you, nowhere in the Word of God does it say that we are allowed as children of God take vengeance upon our enemies. Now, protect ourselves from our enemies, yes. But to take vengeance on our enemies, no. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, if I was looking for a sign, this would be it. If David were looking for a sign, oh, the Lord's living, it's my time. <laughs> okay, it's time for me to kill him. This would be it. But child of God, we must refuse to take vengeance into our own hands, even when the circumstances appear to demand it. Because you see, we don't look for signs. We listen to the Word of God. And it's the difference in walking by sight and walking by faith. You want to know about seeking signs? I can tell you about that. I can, I can write you a book on how not to follow the will of God, but rather to seek signs. David here did what he should do, and we'll come back to that next time. David refused to take revenge. He refused to listen to the counselors. And instead, he followed the word of God. And you know what he ultimately did? He delivered Saul. He delivered his own enemy. He delivered him, his, the people that were with him. He delivered him and his, himself and his men. And then he delivered Saul. And we'll come back to that next time and see 
What a glorious thing it is to do what God says do and not to take things into our own hands. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.